we uh, started last week with our Vision Sunday. Um, if you missed that, as I said, please, I encourage you to get online. Uh, I need a coffee. Uh, I've not had coffee this morning, so I'm uh, feeling it. Mm. That is not my coffee. <laughs> that is sweet and cold. Ah. Oh. Um, so yeah, last week we had our Vision Sunday, and so I unpacked something of discovering, nurturing, and acting. So we're going to spend just a few weeks, maybe five weeks or so with Mother's Day coming up. Just a reminder to you, Mother's Day is coming up in about three weeks' time. Start getting prepared. Uh, if you're anything like me, you know now, and then you forget until the 17th and then think, rubbish, it's tomorrow. So just giving you a warning, it is Mothering Sunday in three weeks' time. Um, and uh, so we'll have a pause for that, but we're going to explore something of what it is for our DNA, what our DNA is as a church. And so if you've got a Bible, we're going to start in Romans 3, but then flick a finger left into Luke 15. And we're going to be, oh, thank you very much. Fantastic. Isn't service in this church great? I can preach with power now. Got coffee. And so last week, um, we, we focused on uh, Joshua 3. And it's just, for me, just a powerful verse. I preached on it a number of years ago, uh, maybe three years ago nearly, um, just sensing that God was saying something to us about we've not been this way before. And as a church, we have not been this way before. We've not seen what God is doing in this church ever before. And there's something of God saying, consecrate yourselves today for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. And that just excites me, that the promise of God is that he will do wonders. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready for when he's going to do it. Consecrate yourselves today for tomorrow I will do wonders among you. And so I want to unpack just these next um, few weeks, just what it means for us to discover God, to discover Jesus, who he is, to nurture each other and to act out the gospel as we seek to consecrate ourselves today for tomorrow God will do something amongst us. Because I just wonder whether there's a little bit of misunderstanding around the concept of, of what it could mean for us to be a people that are set apart, to be consecrated, to be different. And so let me read Romans 3, 23. It says this, for all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me just pray. God, I just pray right now as we, as we seek to discover you and have that transform our hearts. Lord, I pray your presence. I pray your glory. Lord, I pray you'd start to change us and transform us to live, love, and look like you. And Lord, I pray that you would keep the Scottish humble because us English are a little bit down. Amen. Can't believe we lost. I'm still struggling. Any of you make any New Year's resolutions? New Year's resolutions, anybody? I know we're, in, we're entering spring. Can you believe it is nearly spring? We are in March starting Thursday. Thank you. No New Year's resolutions? You're far too spiritual, you lot, aren't you? Shall I rephrase it? How many of you have, made, have committed to have some holy habits? Let's put it that way. Oh, there we go. We're, we're less worldly in here. How many of you have said, we're, this is going to be like, I'm going to get disciplined? Yeah? There we go. That's more like it. Okay. Well, we're now entering March. And so this is about the time when um, they say 50, uh, around 50% of the population will make New Year's resolutions. So I'm getting my son's dribble all over my mouth <laughs> because he grabbed the microphone and drawled into it. So I'm uh, just uh, sorting that out. Um, 
It's about now, 40, 40 to 50% of the population make New Year's resolutions. And by now, 90% of those that have made godly commitments, have made holy habits, have made New Year's resolutions, whatever you want to call them, about now they've realized that it's made no impact in their life whatsoever. And we may be like that, that we make these commitments. I know for me, it's like the sun has started to rise earlier now, hasn't it? You've noticed that the mornings are getting brighter. So it's like if the sun can get up, then I think I can get up. So I'm going to try and recommit to this year of discipline that I've committed to, um, to, to, to get fit and to lose a little bit of weight and to, to do some stuff in my life. But we make every excuse under the sun. And I, I, I can just sympathize with Paul as he writes in Romans. And I was reading a little bit of Romans this week, and we'll, we'll look at uh, Romans 3 in a moment. But I, I just sympathize with Paul when he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I do I, that I hate, I do. Can anybody relate to that? I think the message version, I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. I can relate to that. I can relate to thinking one thing, but then doing something else. Thinking I'm going to resolve to be this kind of person, but then I find myself over here being that kind of person. Anybody relate to that? Can we be honest in here? That we have gaps in our life. Gaps from where we want to be to who we actually are. And there's these gaps that we try and solve, setting New Year's resolutions, holy habits, and saying, right, I'm I'm going to get it sorted this year. This is going to be the year where that gap starts to close. And we pray and we fast, 40 days of prayer and fasting about our big issue. And and we believe in God that you might just do something and we can do something this year to close those gaps. I want to preach around the title this morning, Mind the Gap. Mind the Gap. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you notice the gap? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now that word sinned, it might be to you, it's like I've not really got a concept of what that word means. It's an old-fashioned word maybe. But sinned. We've missed the mark. We've fallen short, Paul says. But we have a saviour. Because you see this morning, we're not going to major on sin. Let me just tell you that. We don't gather in this space to glorify sin, to major on sin. That's not what we're going to do. But the Bible is very true about sin and very real about sin. It says sin is an issue. Sin is an issue in your life and it is a, it's causing a gap between where you should be and where you actually are. But We've got a Savior who's covered our sin, who died for our sin. So sin no longer defines us. If you've accepted what Jesus has done for you this morning, then can I tell you you are no longer defined by that sin? Because it is dealt with. So how do we define sin? Because if I was wanting to define sin and I put a list up on the, on, the, on the screen here and said, right, here's all the sins. Just have a look, see which ones you've committed this week. Show of hands if you've committed this one or that one. I could put a list up there and, and somebody quite rightly could turn around and say, I'm not sure that's a sin, John. Uh, no, I think it is a sin because I've put it on the list. But no, I'm not so sure it is a sin. And we can, we can have a debate about what is sin and what isn't sin if we try and define sin ourselves. But thankfully we've got a God who's defined sin. He's done it for us. So we don't have to have this unstable foundation where we try and figure out what's sin and what's not. He said, let me define it for you. See, sin is about falling short of the glory of God. And that was God just agreeing with me. (laughs) The glory of God. That's the standard. That's where we're aiming for. Now, glory, that word glory, we, we can think it means this powerful manifestation of God. And it does. 
We can think of clouds of smoke and fire burning, and, and it does. But actually, in the biblical narrative, the concept of God's glory is about his character. It's about his nature. It's about his presence. God's presence. See, you've all fallen short. We have all fallen short of the standard required to be in the presence of God. To be accepted in, we've all fallen short. Bet you're glad you came this morning, aren't you? <laughs> like, he normally starts with a funny story. <laughs> and I invited people along this morning. Darn. Don't worry, we'll have a funny story next week, I'm sure. But it's true, isn't it? It's the reality of our life. Sin is a real thing, and it is a gap in my life. And I can stand here and pretend that I'm the pastor that's got everything sorted. I've got no gaps in my life, ladies and gentlemen. Let's deal with your gaps. But the reality is we've all fallen short. And it's clear from what Paul is saying that there is a canyon, there is a gaping chasm between where we are and where God is. And I believe God is calling us to be different. He is calling us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what he's calling this church to be. That means we are a city within a city or a town within a town. That means we represent everybody that is in this town. Every section of society is welcome a part of our church. But we're on a hill. We're told to be different. We're told to be visibly, tangibly different, set apart, looking different. So if that's what we're called to be, yet we have these gaping holes in our life, these gaping gaps, what do we do about them? How do we deal with them? Well, one passage that I continually come back to, and I've probably preached on it more than any other chapter in the Bible, it's one of my favorites, is Luke 15. Luke 15, we have these parables, these three parables. Well, actually, it's one parable in three parts. Because Jesus says to the people that are gathering to hear, he says, let me tell you this parable. And then he goes on to tell this, these three parts of this one parable about a sheep that gets lost, about a coin that gets lost, and about two sons and a father, and one of the sons goes off and gets lost. You see, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and these rebels. And the religious leaders are the ones that have got everything sorted in their life. They have seen the gap, but we've solved it. So we've created all these rules and all these laws that you've got to keep. And if you keep these, then the gap gets closed. You're able to be with God because your life is okay and it is sorted. And, and, and these other rebels... These are the ones that the religious leaders said, you know what, actually, for, for us to be able to keep these rules, we need to keep these people at arm's length because they're incompatible with these laws and therefore they're incompatible with God. And so they kept these people at arm's length, yet Jesus, God, fully man, fully God, he comes and he eats with these sinners. Can I just say in Jewish antiquity to eat with someone is like saying we are brothers and sisters, we are sisters and brothers from different mothers, we are family. That's what it said. We, we are the same thing. We are together. And Jesus is eating with these people. And he goes on and he tells these religious, just remember, it's the religious leaders and the rebels that the religious are trying to keep away. And he speaks into these two communities, these two groups, and he tells these three stories. This man who has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray. And he leaves the 99 that are found and safe and goes and looks for this one sheep that is lost. And he picks it up. And in verse 6, he says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then he tells the second story of this woman who's lost a coin. 
and the coin is, is precious to her. Uh, scholars believe that it could have been her life savings. Clearly it was precious because she was hunting for this coin. And in a Middle Eastern house, small windows or no windows at all, she is sweeping the floor, looking, listening, trying to find this one silver coin to put back with the other nine that she has. And it says in verse 9, And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found that coin that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the third part of this one parable is these two sons. And the one son comes to the father and says, I wish you were dead. I've got some stuff I want to get on with, and you're kind of standing in my way. Can you give me the inheritance? And I believe the father actually gives both sons their inheritance. He says, you have your inheritance. And the younger son goes off and he squanders it in reckless living. And he finds himself, a Jewish man, finds himself in amongst the pigs. And that's when he realizes, I've got to get back to my father. I need to, this has all gone wrong. And so he goes back to the father and he prepares a speech. And he says, like, I'm, I'm hoping to get a job. I'm hoping to be able to get and pay back my father everything I owe him. And so while he was a long way off, says in verse 20, he arose and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. See, the son has prepared this speech to try and earn his way back into his father's presence. But his dad runs towards him. See, each of the stories, each of these parts of this parable, there's a gap, isn't there? There's a gap between that which is being hunted for and the person that's hunting for it. There's, something's lost. There's, there's a chasm between the, the shepherd and the sheep between the woman and the coin, between the father and his son. And I read these three parables and they make me smile because of how they deal with that gap. Because if you look in each of these parables, it talks, I, I believe it talks about repentance, doesn't it? In fact, the first two actually, actually mention the word repentance. In verse 7 it says, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And then in the second one, in verse 10, it says, again, there'll be before the, joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My question is this, where's the repentance? For that coin, for that sheep, and I would argue for that son, where's the repentance? See, repentance is this, is this thing of about turn. We, we turn in the opposite direction. That, that's where we were, that's where we were facing, and we're going to turn. And that's exactly what repentance is. It's an about turn, going in the opposite direction. But where's the repentance in these stories? How does the coin repent? How does that sheep repent? We could argue, oh, the son repents. He repents because he, he turns from his wicked ways where he's in the pigsty and he walks back to the father. Yeah, okay. But why is he going back to the father? He's going back to the father to say, can I have a job? So in other words, I've just taken all of your money from you. Now I'd like to come back. You pay me for working for you so I can repay the money that I've lost. So in other words, give me more money that I've already taken so I can repay you. Does that make sense? Does that look like repentance? And while he was still a long way off, he's prepared the speech and he's saying, I've got it all sorted. I'm going to be back there. While he was still a long way off, the father runs to him. How do these stories represent repentance? Yeah, there's a change of direction for that son. But I'm not convinced our understanding of repentance is what is seen in these three stories. What Jesus is saying is he's saying to these religious leaders, remember the audience, he's saying to these religious leaders, those who, who think their lives are sorted because they've managed to close this gap all by themselves. They've gone, yeah, we've seen the gap. We acknowledge the gap, but we've sorted the gap. And we've got these 600 or so laws, and we keep all of those, and that gap stays closed, and everybody's happy. He's saying to them, you think you can prove your repentance because you avoid sin, because you tick all the boxes. 
because you've proved that you're worthy of the presence of the Father because you've not done this or you have done this. Can you imagine the shock on these religious leaders when, he starts, when Jesus starts saying, I'm going to leave the 99 who don't think they need to repent. Can you, I mean, I don't need to repent. I'm, I'm sorted. Who needs a savior when I've got it all sorted in my little pen here with all the other sheep? Okay, that's fine. I'll go after the one that does need to repent and acknowledges they need to repent. So I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the responsibility of repentance. Because we, we hear the word repentance and we go, okay, cue me. God's done the bit of the forgiving and he's done the dying bit. But the repentance, that's my responsibility. That's where I step in. That's where I need to start. Pull up your bootstraps. Come on, John, you can do this. God helps those who help themselves. That famous non-biblical par- par- parable, uh, proverb. And we step up and we think, come on, this is where I need to do it. This is where I need to step in. But the trouble is, what we're doing is we're focusing on the gaps. The gap becomes our focus. And when the gap becomes our focus, two things, I believe, happen. We start to obsess over the gap. And when we start to obsess over the gap, that becomes the focus. I've got to deal with this gap in my life, God. I've got to get on with sorting this gap out. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to read my Bible seven times a day for seven hours. Although that adds up to more than 24 hours, John. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, pray. I'm going to, start my, I'm going to get up at four o'clock every morning. And I'm going to pray for three hours. Because I then know that gap will start to close. And there's nothing, I'm not mocking those things. Those things are deeply important. As prioritizing time with God. Reading his word. But if we approach them thinking, oh, this is my act of repentance. This is going to prove to God that I am worthy of his presence. Then I think we've misunderstood what repentance actually means. And we can obsess over that gap. We get to the point where we see the, the gaps in other people's lives. Like we, we see our parents' gaps. And we see that we've got the propensity for that same gap. And we say, do you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to not let that gap come into my life. Oh, I'm not going to be like my dad. Not a chance. My, my mum, I'm not, I resolve I'm not going to struggle with the same thing. She, and what happens is it, it gets toxic. And it starts to impact our, how, how we form friendships and how we develop relationships and how we see God. If we obsess over the gap. Either that or we deny the gap. We say, no gaps in my life. I'm fully sorted. I'm all okay, thank you very much. Don't need, don't need to deal with the gaps in my life. And so we then start to point out the gaps in everybody else's life, don't we? I think Christianity is famous for this the world over. We take to my face and other social media platforms and we start pointing out the gaps in every celebrity. We start pointing out the gaps in every political party. There's a gap, send. We start walking down the street pointing out people in our own minds. There's a gap there, I think I'll avoid them. It's just can't be doing with that gap today. They've got lots of gaps in their life. And we start to point out all of the gaps in some vain attempt to show they've got a gap, so it means that nobody has to look at the gaps in my life. I'm going to deny the gaps that I've got in my life. And it starts to define who we are because we're obsessed with the gap. And when we're obsessed with the gap, it affects our relationship with God. When we think repentance, right, my responsibility, pull up my bootstraps, let's get going. What we see is we see this is how we see God. We see God stood on the other side of the gap. And I'm this side and I'm like, oh God, I've been struggling with for years with that gap. And he's like, yes, John, I know. But John, I've put greatness inside of you. You can do this. Oh God, I'm not sure that I can. John, come on. I believe in you. All you've got to do is run and jump. Face the giant, defeat the giant. Oh God, I'm just not sure I can. You can do it, John. You can. I believe you can fly. Oh, 
I'm not sure I can though, God. I believe you can touch this. Oh, I can hear you singing over me, God. I love it when you sing over me. I just, I, I believe I can do it too, God. Okay, John, come on. You do it now. As if God's our own private life coach. And he's like, come on, take a running jump. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it this time. I've set the, new, the holy habits. Sorry, you're a spiritual crowd. I've set the, the godly goals. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to run. I'm taking a running jump. Come on, God. You're with me. I know I can do it. And I'm running, and God's there, and God's like, I think he's called in the end. Come on, Gabriel. You get it. I think he's going to do it this time. Michael, come in close. Watch this one. He's got it this time. He's sorted. Ready? He's going to do it. He's running. He's jumped. He's jumped. Yep. He's got it. He's... Oh, no. Oh, ouch. Oh, Gabriel, I thought he had it that time. Michael, go and get the next person. Let's see who's next on the list. And that's how we see it. We see God is this other side of this big gaping chasm. And if I can just do enough, then I can jump the gap and I can be in his presence. I can make it happen. I can be strong enough. We joke, but this is how we see it. And our journey becomes less about God and more about our gaps. It becomes less about God and more about our gaps. And then if we risk it enough to share with somebody else in the community, because we're talking about discovering God and nurturing each other, so I'm going nur- I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share with somebody at this, this prayer time about my gap. And they pray over me. And then three months later, they, they feel a prompting from the Lord to ask about the gap. So I was just, uh, just praying for you this week. I just wondered how that issue is in your life. And you're like, what we, actually, what we say is, oh, God's good. He's, he's doing a work. I'm on a journey. That code means... Uh, since you pray for me, it's got twice as bad. I have fallen four times more than I ever would normally, and I'm really, really struggling. But we tell people God's just doing a work because we have become obsessed with the gap. Luke 15, I believe, presents this scandalous notion of repentance that I think we miss. I think we misunderstand. Because no matter how hard you try, no matter what speeches you prepare to be able to get back, remember it's falling short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the presence of the Father. We prepare these speeches to say, I can get back with the Father. I can be back in the presence of the Father. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to manage it this time. And yet, while we're still a long way off, see, even on our best day, when we are the most disciplined we could ever be, we are still but a long way off. We still miss the mark of the glory of God. But for that son, he's welcomed home by the father who runs towards him, bridging the gap. It's the father that bridges the gap. And for that, for that sheep, who bridges the gap? Well, the shepherd comes back. And I wonder if that sheep even knew that it was lost. Just wandering around, munching on grass. Nice day, this. Gets so close to the edge of the cliff and the shepherd comes and what does he do? He picks it up and puts it on his shoulders and carries it back. It's the shepherd that bridges the gap. And what about that coin, an inanimate object? Can you imagine that coin in the middle of the room going, right, if I can just conjure up enough strength, I'll flip onto my side and then I'll roll back into the light. I can't see a coin doing that. It's the woman that seeks out the lost coin. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit working in the church bringing us back into community. Each of these stories, that which was found gets lost and is found. How much is that a story of our week? Oh, I feel found on a Sunday. Glory to God in the highest. But then Wednesday, oh, I feel pretty lost in my gaps right now. Can't wait for Sunday to roll around. And then we get back to another Sunday and I feel found again. The story of found, lost and found so epitomizes the gaps in our life. 
But what about repentance? I'm just sharing some thought. I, I don't fully understand what it is for us to discover, nurture, and act. I just think, God, you're sharing some stuff with us uh, for spring 2018, and this is what it looks like at the moment. And I think for us to understand the gaps in our own life and the gaps of the people that will come through these doors, be part of this community. Repentance is really important. Jesus says in Mark 1:15, I think it is, he says, repent and believe. It's his first words. Repent and believe the good news. So I believe repentance is vital. I'm not downplaying repentance, but I just wonder if we've misunderstood what repentance actually is. Because I am convinced, having studied this repentance for a few months, I believe that repentance is far more the work of God than the work of man. You see, church, we are the sheep. We are the coin. We are that son. And for that coin, what did repentance look like? It got found. For that sheep, it got picked up and put on the shoulders of the shepherd. Come on, let me, let me take you back to the fold. Let me carry you back to where you should be. Yeah, I was lost, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. But let me put you on my shoulders. Let me carry you back. And I know my propensity is, once I've been carried a little while, I go, oh God, I've got some strength back in my legs now. Thank you. I feel like I know the path back now. Can I just get down off your shoulders? Can I do a bit of the walking? Hang on, John. You know that's what happened last time. And you know that's how the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. How about you just stay on my shoulders? I think that's what Luke 15 says repentance looks more like. Wow. I didn't realize I was lost. But let me put you on my shoulders. See, repentance does mean an about turn. It means a change of direction. Going in the opposite direction. But it's all too easy when we think it's about us that we start to focus on what we've turned from rather than who we're turning towards. And what we've turned from becomes the focus rather than saying, do you know what? I am going to consume my days with discovering Jesus. I am going to be so consumed with fixing my gaze upon him, the author and the finisher of my faith, because when I do, all this other stuff, the gaps in my life, they seem to start to lose their appeal. Don't seem so preoccupied with them anymore. It's funny, I used to spend months stressing over this gap in my life and I haven't even thought about it for three months because I've been so preoccupied with trying to get close to Jesus, trying to discover him, stay on his shoulders. Repentance is a change of heart that, and mind that brings us closer to God. This is not about sin avoidance, church. This is about life abundance. I've come that you would have life and life in all its fullness. Not just spend all your days trying to avoid that bit of your life and that bit of your life. How about consuming yourself with me that that stuff loses its strength? See, there was a Jewish saying that said, there is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from this world. That was the religious leader's view of God. That if you're that bad, he cannot wait for you to die and be gone. Yet Jesus says, no, 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 hang on. This is the view of God that I have because I am God. And the view of God that I know to be true is he rejoices over one sinner who repents, who is willing to acknowledge their state of lostness and be consumed with the passionate pursuing of the Father. Repentance is about you standing a long way off, far from dad's house, and him running with passion, love, acceptance and forgiveness towards you. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Ian, can you come and start to play? I need to, with five minutes to go, I need to lull these people into believing that I'm nearly finished. No, we are. 
See, the glory of God is the focus for all have fallen short. Whether you believe this morning in God or not, I think we can all acknowledge that we fall short of being good. Yeah, I'm not the good dad that I want to be all the time. I'm not the good husband, the good wife. I'm not the great friend that I should be. For all have fallen short. That's a given, but it's not the focus. I've fallen short of the glory of God, the presence of the Father. But I've made a way. I have made a way that you can come back. Do you know, I've started to pray each day. And these are just a collection of thoughts. You might say, where's the three points that all begin with P, like we had during the prayer series? Maybe this is a little less structured this morning. But I've started praying each day. And I said, God, will you start to show me what repentance in my life looks like? Because I've always believed that it's about me doing more stuff for you. Me journaling more, me praying more. And those things are great. And I, I, I desire to do those things more. And I pursue those things, but for the sake of the glory of God. Not for showing that I'm good enough. And so I've started each day praying, God, will you give me each day the realization of just how much I depend on you? Wow, how that's changed me. Because now when those things come up, those temptations, those gaps that say, you're a failure, you get it wrong. I go, God, there's no way I can cope with that gap on my own. Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed to me again today just how much I need you. And my focus shifts from being obsessed with the gap to saying, Jesus, I, I need you. Spirit of God, will you come and consume me? Because I can't do this. I try and jump that gap and I fall flat down there. Can you come and do something in me? And he started working. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. doesn't mean I don't fall. But suddenly those things seem to, the gaps, don't, they're not my obsession. God is my obsession. Genuine repentance is about an acknowledgement of just what Jesus has done for you. And when that thief is dying on the cross next to Jesus, and he cries out to Jesus, remember me. Will you remember me? What does Jesus say? Well, Make sure you're baptized. Make sure you get onto that course. Make sure you do that Bible. Maybe you come into membership first. Make sure you tithe enough because then you'll be accepted. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, I'll remember you. Tomorrow you'll be with, today you'll be with me in paradise. What does repentance look like? It's an acknowledgement of just who Jesus is and just what he has done. That is what repentance is. And it causes us to change direction and to focus on him and not the gaps. This is what it means to discover Jesus, that he has fully made the way. He has. He's done it. And church, when we're walking past people in the street, Dave's absolutely right. Every person we see, every welcome we have is significant because that person is made in the image of God. Oh, I think I'll avoid them because their gaps are just too big for my life. I do that. And Jesus says, I've bridged the gap for you. I'll bridge the gap for them. Welcome them. Welcome them in. Because through you, they might just discover me. Church, that's who we're called to be. That's what repentance looks like. So let's just close our eyes.